This is episode number 619 with best-selling author Rich Roll. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Jeff Bezos said, what's dangerous is not to evolve. I'm super excited about this episode with my good friend, Rich Roll. He's been on a couple times before, but it's been a long time. Episode number 10 was the first time he was on, and then back in the 100s. So if you haven't heard of him, he is a world-renowned vegan ultra-endurance athlete. He's got an incredible story. He's a best-selling author wellness advocate, motivational speaker, podcast host, huge podcast, husband, father of four, and an inspiration to people worldwide as a transformative example of courageous and healthy living. He's been featured everywhere, CNN, Los Angeles Times, Men's Health Living, Men's Fitness Magazine, and in 2009, he was named 25 Fittest Men in the World. He just republished and updated a version of his best-selling memoir, Finding Ultra, and he's got a new vegan cookbook called The Plant Power Way Italia, which is out right now. And we went into some inspiring topics, really the journey that Rich has gone over the last 15, 20 years from being a recovering addict, extreme alcoholic, to transforming his life, becoming completely overweight. Um, almost having a you know, heart attack when he was in his late 30s to transforming his health and his diet and nutrition, workout plan, everything to where he's at now, to almost going bankrupt a couple of times after these transitions and so much in between. And we talk about what it looks like to trust the process when things are extremely tough in your life. Also, why it's so important to delegate so you don't burn out yourself. Why committing to a big challenge brings out the best in all of us. And when we don't have some type of challenge or bigger goal in our life, the challenges that will come when we don't have that challenge. Also, what to focus on if you are ready to make a shift in your health and what recovering from addiction teaches you about compassion for others. We talked about all these things and so many more powerful things, and I hope you enjoy this one. And if you're listening, make sure to take a screenshot of this right now and post it up on Instagram, on your Instagram story, at Lewis Howes and at Rich Roll to let us know that you're listening to it and let your friends know to check it out as well. It's episode number 619. And before we dive in, I want to give a shout out to the fan of the week. We like to celebrate people who listen to the podcast. You know, we have millions of downloads every single month from people all over the world. And I want to celebrate you guys. So the more people that share and comment and leave reviews, we acknowledge you for being a fan of the week. And if you haven't left a review, make sure to leave one right now. And this one's from Mara Zayas, who said, after we got hit by two major hurricanes in Puerto Rico, I needed to hear positive and inspiring message to help me get up and be motivated again with my dreams of having my own ceramic shop. In that search, I found this podcast, and I'm grateful for it. Thank you, Lewis. So, Myra, thank you so much for that. You are the fan of the week and super inspired to hear that you were able to get through those challenging times in Puerto Rico and uh, glad to hear you guys are safe and you're recovering and you're on to living your dreams again. So congratulations and thanks so much for listening and supporting the School of Greatness podcast. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
Whether you're searching for a home to buy or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. You can favorite homes, share listings with others, and even schedule tours with a local Redfin agent, all in the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. They know how to help you win the right home at the right price. So download the Redfin app to get started today. In the California Road Trip Republic, we believe you take adventure for a ride. Whether coastal cruising, mountain motoring, or redwood roaming, discover beauty around every turn. Your road trip can kick off from anywhere. Starting route. But it should always start at visitcalifornia.com. Then buckle up, crank those tunes, and discover why California is the ultimate playground. All right, guys, I'm super pumped about this one. Again, it's all about experiencing your ultimate potential. It doesn't matter what age you are, you're going to hear an incredible story right now with the one, the only, Rich Roll. Rich Roll is in the house, everybody. Super pumped you're here, man. Good to see you. Good to see you. Nice haircut. Thank you for coming to my home. Yes, you're, we've switched sides. <laughs> I know. We've switched sides. For people that are just listening, I'm sitting in Lewis's chair, and for people on YouTube, it's going to be a little jarring, I think, that <laughs> I, never I, I took thing. over the seat. Exactly. <laughs> you know, to join you. But it's good to see you. I, I wanted to say at the, at the outset, before we even get into it, that I really appreciate you having me on. I think this is my third time, third time. on a podcast. Yep. And as we talked about on my show, like we go way back, we started around the same time. And I know how it is when past guests kind of hit you up and say, hey, can I come back on again? And it can be awkward. So it's no small thing that you're having me back on. And of I course appreciate not. it. I appreciate you. Yeah, you were on in 2013. You were episode 10. Yeah. 2013, then 2015, episode 169. And now... 600 something. So. 600, wow. 600. I'm at 356, so you you almost Slacking doubled man. my episode count. Wow, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> it's been a fun evolution for both of us. You're a little more than five years. You're like five and a half years, I think, right now. I think now. so, about five and a half, yeah. Five and three months, I think it is, because it was five at the end of January, so. It's been a crazy journey, right? Yeah. Just, I, I look over here at the wall, like some of the people I've had mm. on. We gotta get a photo of you up there now. We don't have one up there. And it's just like so many lessons learned. And it sounds like it sounds like to me there are a lot of lessons you've learned since you wrote the first uh, edition of Finding Ultra mm-hmm. till now it's coming out with 100 new plus pages and a lot of lessons where you're talking about before. You know, after the book came out, the first time you almost lost your house, you were saying, which I don't even know that. Mm-hmm. And there was other challenges. What were the other challenges you've learned in the last five years since originally this book coming out? So many, setting aside everything I've learned as a result of doing the podcast, as you know, like having these amazing people sit across from you and you get to hold them hostage and ask them everything you want to ask them. I mean, I can't even begin to unpack like how much that's impacted me in a positive way. I mean, it's just been an insane journey. I don't think either of us could have ever predicted that a, we'd still be doing this. You know, I didn't know that I would still be doing this, or that you know what we've sort of built with our respective you know audiences would have grown to the extent that it has. Yeah. So super grateful for that journey. And yeah, you know, I started the podcast shortly after this book came out, which was in May of 2012. I started the podcast in November of that year, and it was really my intention. You know, I didn't even know if I would do a second episode, but once I kind of got rolling. It was an opportunity to just continue the conversation that I think this book began. Uh, And one of the kind of core themes of this book, a lot of people sort of mistook it as a book about running or how to be a better triathlete. It's really not about that. It's about how to basically better self-actualize, how to become the best, most authentic version of yourself, however that looks for you. And my story is intended really as a metaphor for, you know, I think the unlimited potential that, w- that we all have. But one of the themes is that when your heart is true, that the universe will conspire to support you. Yeah. And when this book came out, I put everything in into like pushing it out into the world and let go of practicing law. My background is in corporate law. And I thought, okay, I'm going all in on trying to sort of create some kind of profession out of promoting these ideas that are important to me whether it's speaking or writing another book or whatever that may look like. I wasn't really sure at the time, but I thought, okay, my heart is pure. This is the theme of the book. I'm putting myself out there. I'm stepping out and I'm waiting for that universal signal of support. And 
I got to tell you, like, it didn't really come. <laughs> you know, really? I was like, phone's not ringing. Right. Uh, you know, what am I going to do? Yeah. Money was running out. And, you know, I could go do a speaking gig for free or maybe do a little thing here or there. Try and, to slap some books or whatever, yeah, in the yeah, back of the room. Yeah, you know, it, and, you know, I, I have four kids. I've got a mortgage. So we went through a very difficult extended period of time that lasted a number of years. I mean, really? it was like five or six years of touch and go. Julie calls it, my wife calls it, our divine moment, where we were really brought to our knees and forced to really confront our attachment to material things like our house and our cars. We had two cars repossessed. Well, after this book came out, I mean, it's like, it was the weirdest juxtaposition because I was getting a bunch of attention and I was sort of in the, you know, in the media. And yet at the same time, there was a lot of kind of suffering that we had to experience around how to kind of navigate what we were trying to accomplish and do in the material world. And ultimately, you know, we really had to burn in that fire in order to kind of come out. And I think that required a tremendous amount of faith and persistence and, and really just being in the moment, like day to day, to try to figure out what the next step would be. But I think emerging from that, I mean, now everything's great. Like my life is an embarrassment of riches and I have so much opportunity and it's insane. Like I, I you know, I, I, it's, it's hard looking back to even imagine what it was like back then. But I think it, it allows me to communicate, you know, with the people that are tuning into my channel and my frequency with a level of humility and honesty and, and just realness, really, yeah. because I know what it's like to kind of be in that place. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to rewrite the book because I wanted to tell that story of what happened after Finding Ultra came out from 2012 to present because I think those events are equally dramatic, if not more dramatic, and, and certainly more relatable to the average person than some of the ultra-endurance feats you know, that are chronicled right. in the original version. Yeah. What would you say is the biggest personal challenge for you over the last five or six years? I think, and this is a theme that you're that you know well, like it really challenged my idea of what it means to be a man, like as a masculine human being, as a head of household, Not as somebody who is or... supposed to be a provider, <clears throat> right. somebody who's supposed to have all the answers, somebody who's supposed to make their kids feel safe. And all of that was called into question because I was in a position where for a period of time, providing for my family was a, a tremendous challenge. Um, and I would not have made it through without the strength and support of my wife. I mean, there were many times where I was like, forget it. I'm going back to being a lawyer. I'm gonna, I'll get a job at a corporate law firm, whatever. Like, we got to, like, you know, we got to, like, take care of business here. And she's like, no, you cannot do that. Like, you, you've come so far. Mm -hmm. You cannot retreat. That's a, that's a move backwards. Like, the only way you out of this is through. And I have your back. And if we have to say goodbye to our home, like we're together, we're in love, we're with our kids, it's all going to be fine. And it's easy to kind of say those things, but to actually live those things and, and weather that storm is a different matter altogether. And so it was because of her in, in large part that, you know, I even get to sit here and talk to you today. It's a pretty powerful woman. Yeah. It's inspiring. Yeah, she's, she's my biggest teacher for sure. Really? Mm. What's the big lesson she's taught you? She just has, I mean, she is somebody who has, all, who has committed herself from the get-go to always, like, pushing the boundaries of her own personal evolution, like, personal growth. So whether it's spiritual, mental, emotional, like, incredibly well-read person and just somebody with an extreme amount of personal fortitude, like, she's just an incredibly strong person and very convicted in her ideas. And so to have her as my partner, who not only, I mean, she's the reason I even wrote this book in, to begin with, because you know I was a junk food addict, recovering alcoholic, like very unhappy in my professional career, but she was always able to kind of see through that facade, that like heaviness that I was carrying around to this better, more actualized person within. And she held the space for me to, find that within myself. And that's a whole other story that's part mm -hmm. of the book as well. But I think just that ability to kind of see the best in somebody and not in a lip service kind of way, but in a very real fundamental way is rare. Yeah, that's cool. Do you see your story different now than when you first wrote the book? Yeah, in so many ways. It's a weird thing, and I'm sure you can relate to this as well, Lewis. When 
you get asked to get on a stage and tell your story or go on podcasts and, you know, tell me what happened. And, you know, you you get into this space where you tell the story so many times that suddenly you think, and I don't know if you've had this experience, but I certainly have, you think, like, is this story even true? Like, I've told it so many times that that it's easy (laughs) to kind of, like, distance yourself from it and just spit it out because you've done it so many times. And so I've had that experience where I've really had to think, okay, let me, what is the heart of the matter? Like, what is really true about this? And what is just something I've said so many times that I think it's true? So I'm I'm constantly in the process of like deconstructing that and trying to examine it. And I think the process of getting up on stage and sharing my story with groups of people, large and small, has helped tell me what it is about my story that connects with people. And I think when I wrote the original version of the book, I thought the story was one thing, and in the process of telling it, I've realized so much more about myself. And so it's changed and morphed, not with respect to the facts of that experience, but I think what um, the emotional heart of it is. Yeah. How old were you when you wrote the book? 45, 46? I think I was 40. When I was writing it, I was 45. 45. When it came out in 46? So in 2012, that was seven years ago. I'm 51 now. 45, somewhere around there, 45. (laughs) Do you think your 45-year-old self would be proud of your 51-year-old self? Oh, for sure. You know, I I, I mean, I've far exceeded my expectations for not just the books that I've written, but the, the level of impact that I've been able to have. I mean, my desire really was only to figure out a way to impact the most number of people in the most meaningful way possible. And I didn't know, like I said, exactly what that would look like or how I would manifest that. Um, but to sit here today, you know, as, as a fellow podcaster and author, like I, I just, you know, I can't even believe that I get to do what I, what I, what I get to do every day. Like, you know, I, I work really hard, as I know you do. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like I'm working all the time, but it, it doesn't feel like work. I get, is this, we're working right now, right? Like, it doesn't feel like work. I would come over and hang out with you and do this, you know, anyway, if I had another job. So yeah. very blessed to be able to do what I love and, and, and also provide for my family and, and impact people in a positive way. I mean, I, I can't think of anything that I would rather do with my life, but it's certainly not anything I would have dreamed that I would be doing. Like if you asked me when I was 30, I mean, I couldn't even imagine. Like I thought I was gonna be like a a baller lawyer or a movie producer or something. So it's weird. From all the stuff you've been able to do in the last seven years, what's the thing you're most proud of? The thing I'm most proud of is that I know in my heart of hearts that I have shaped and impacted the way people lead their lives in a meaningful way. Yeah. Whether that's one person, 100 people, 1,000 people, however many people it is, just the feedback that I get, I know, and I, I know you get emails like this as well, to receive really intimate, heartfelt letters from people saying, you know, I tuned into your podcast or I read your book and this is where I was and these are the obstacles I faced and here, here's where I am today and thank you. I mean, that's a gift from the universe. There's nothing more meaningful or valuable to me and it's a blessing. Yeah. You've been doing the podcast for over five and a half years. Do you think you'll be doing it for another five years? I don't know, you know? The promise I made to myself was I would do it until I started to get stale or sick of it, you know? And and I actually ran up against that around December or January this year, where I was starting to feel a little Mm. bit burned out for the very first time. And I had to hit pause and really reflect on whether I wanted to keep doing it, and if so, how to configure, reconfigure the way that I was doing it so that I wouldn't have that approach. Because I, I want to approach every, every interview, every episode that I do with enthusiasm and excitement. So you've always been really good about delegating. You have this amazing team of people helping you. And, and we've had this conversation a lot of times <laughs> where my Achilles heel is that I'm a bit of a control freak. And I, and I try to like, you know, I get too in the weeds on the details. And so I've done a better job of delegating and building my own team and, and also focusing on the things that are most important that only I can do and, and letting other people handle the rest and then batching the work. Like I, I wasn't very systematic in my approach to it. So I ended up sort of working on it a little bit every single day. And I felt like I was just drowning, you know? Yeah. So I've now created a schedule that allows me some flexibility with my time. And that's improved my perspective on the interview. So to answer your question, yeah, I'll, I'll do it as long as I, I feel like I'm adding value and, and I'm into it. You know, the yeah. minute I start to feel like, Ugh, 
another one, like then it's probably time to either take a break or, right. or you know, retire. But at or some point, we're not going to be doing this when we're seventy, right? Some at, at some point, it's going to. Larry King, I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess. He's right. Doing, he's done sixty thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's he takes breaks. Have you ever taken yeah. a break? Me, no, not in five years. Yeah, so I've never missed a week. I mean, so, I, t- I took a break. I went to Hawaii last week with no phone and no computer. Yeah, that's good. And but I'd worked enough to be. Caught yeah, up. then you got to work a lot before you go. Exactly. Right. Yeah, to batch it ahead, and now I got to get caught back up again. So it's not like mm-hmm. needing something for tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, we're getting lean. I got to. Which just always feels like that, though, yeah, because yeah, yeah. we're doing two episodes a week, mm-hmm. anyways. So you could get eight banked, but then they're gone the next month. You know, of so. You did this race last year, right? This crazy endurance race. Mm-hmm. It was like 46 miles, is that what it was? Through like the Galapagos Islands or something no, crazy I wish like it was that. the Galapagos. It it was, was, the water would have been a little bit warmer. It was, uh, I did Sweden this, yeah, 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 yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't done an endurance challenge since Epic Five in 2010, which is oh, really? know, a big part of this book. Uh-huh. And because in those intervening years, I was going through this dismantling period and trying to figure out like how to make my way. And I was very intent on, on creating a sustainable, professional approach to what I was doing. And so I achieved that. Because before you were eating bad, having fast food, well, you were even, working even prior to that, like when I was, yeah, I mean the story leading up to it, just to kind of catch people up who have no idea who I am, I was a corporate lawyer at age 39, 50 pounds overweight, junk food addict, Basically, classic couch potato sliding into middle age on a crash course with lifestyle disease, depressed about my life, and and also like having an existential crisis about like my career, my profession, and what I was here to do. And that existential crisis sort of collided with a health scare shortly before I turned 40, where I had like a heart episode walking up a simple flight of stairs. That really brought into focus this desire to change how I was living and in the, inter, in the sort of following months and years, I overhauled my diet, adopted a plant-based diet, started getting fit again, went on and conquered all these crazy ultra-endurance challenges, wrote this book, and like all this crazy stuff happened. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host so listen we all know life is full of yada yada like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print and i know you've dealt with yada yada before like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else and yes it is possible to outsmart yada yada like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is all Already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. In person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Is that story even true anymore? Yeah, see, like, that's the thing. Like, I just told you the the thumbnail that I've said a million times and, you know, we can dissect it if you want, but it's probably outside the, the bounds of this, but... Then it was about like, okay, I'm doing the podcast. I'm built. I'm trying to create, yeah. you know, something. You're trying to build an audience that you can. And also, like, you know, on that theme of like, 
you know, my approach has always been like, how can I have the most impact? And if I'm out on my bike for eight hours or, you know, training all the time, then there's no podcast. There's no, you know, I'm not, I'm not serving my, my main, you know, sort of mission statement. But I turned 50 last year and I thought this is a good moment to race again because I wanted to prove that a 50-year-old dude who vegan. also happened to be <laughs> vegan or plant-based could still go out and kill it. And I thought that that would serve the mission statement because there was a service aspect of that. So I committed to this race in Sweden. Americans would call it Otillo. The Swedish pronounce it Otillo, which means island to island. It's a 75-kilometer race that traipses across 52 islands spread wide across the Stockholm archipelago on the Baltic Sea. And leading up to this race, I trained for it for about, I don't know, nine or 10 months. I uh, decided I was gonna share every single workout on Strava and on Instagram stories so people could join along. And they could see, like, I have bad days. Some days I, I didn't make training because something else happened and just be totally transparent about the whole thing, um, which was super fun. And then showed up in Stockholm and this race is the weirdest thing. It's called Swim Run. This is, called the, this is the World Championships of something called Swim Run, which is an emerging sport, uh, mostly in Northern Europe. It's starting to find its way to the U.S., but nobody knows about it here. And essentially what you do is you swim and you run, and you do the whole thing in a wetsuit with your running shoes on. That's going to be challenging. Swimming across these waterways and crawling up on granite rocks on all fours and scurrying across these little islands and then jumping back in the water and swimming again. You do this 52 transitions, it was like a 10-hour race, and you do it in teams of two. So I did it with my coach, Chris Howell, my longtime coach. You have to stay within 10 meters of your teammate the entire time. You can't get too separated. And it was the hardest one-day race of my life. I mean, just the distance alone was challenging, and the terrain was way more difficult than I imagined because on these islands, you're not really running. It's more like an obstacle course thing. You're falling down on rocks, and... The conditions that day were insane. There was sideways rain, just crazy rain. The swells, in the, it was like six feet swells in the water. It was bananas and freezing cold, frigid water in the Baltic. There was one- um, That's scary, you could drown. Well, in this tired. race, they would, they would have never allowed this race to take place in the United States. Like no insurance company would underwrite this thing. It's only like the Vikings, you know, right, right. who are like, what's the big deal, you know? <laughs> the craziest part of that race was about Two-thirds of the way through, there's a swim section. It's one of the longest swim sections. It's called the pig swim. Uh, and it's about a kilometer across this waterway. And it's the most exposed area of water on the whole race where there's no more islands. There's this Baltic Sea to your right. And the swells were so crazy. The boats that were out in the water who are sort of charged with making sure everyone's like safe. Like, boats. I'm like, these boats, should, they're going to capsize. Like, it was crazy. And I just remember halfway through... I kind of pulled up and looked around. Like, it's so disorienting because you're getting washed around like a washing machine and suddenly you're swimming the wrong way and, you know, it's like you don't know where you are. I just started laughing. I was like, what am I even doing out here? In the middle like, of the I'm sea. A 50-year-old dude. Like, I'm in the middle of the Baltic. I'm getting washed. It's like, what am I, trying to I can't prove? even believe yeah. what, is, what is going on in my life that I'm here. It was just this moment of realization like that all these things that I'd done and all the challenges that I had overcome had put me in this position to be in the midst of this, this totally insane adventure race that was just crazy. And it was great. I, I didn't have the greatest day, to be honest with you. Yeah, you struggled. Um, yeah, I, I definitely struggled. Was your um, coach and partner, was he... Uh, he, Come on, let's go. No, like, he was cool. I was like, from the get-go, I didn't sleep well. It was like, it's a whole thing. But like, you know, he was mellow. He's like, okay, well, it just is what it is. You know, he could have he could have been two hours faster without really? me. I mean, well, he's a you know, world-class machine, yeah. But we were still the fastest American team. And, you know, we finished, I don't even remember where we finished, like 30th place or something like that. But, you know, it wasn't about that. It was just about having this experience. And it was incredible. Yeah. It was incredible to do it as a 50-year-old man and to show like I can still mix it up with you know these world-class athletes and do something that scared me because I hate cold water. Everything I'd done prior was in Hawaii in warm water and it was epic. And the best part of it was just that I got to share that whole experience with the people you know that follow me on the various platforms wow. and, and, and just demonstrate like, look, I showed you exactly what I did every single day leading up to this. There's no magic, there's no mystery. You know, you saw the whole thing. And my hope with that is that it inspires other people to rethink their own limits and their own boundaries about what mm. they're capable of. Yeah, it's powerful. You think you'll do it in 10 years at 60? I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. That would be sweet. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, every time I do one of these things, I'm like, okay, I'm good for a while. You know, I'm not like racing all the time, but I, I, I am looking for, I, I'm on the cusp of committing to something. You need a challenge right though. Every couple, of, every couple of years, you need a challenge probably. I think you always need a challenge. I think when I'm committed to something like that, it gives my life structure and focus, and it allows me to prioritize where I'm spending my energy and, mm-hmm. and, and, and my attention. Um, and when I don't have a goal like that, it's easier to just kind of go with the flow and I'm not as productive. So even though there's a huge time commitment with something like that, I tend to be more productive in everything else that I'm doing when Mm -hmm. I have a goal. Isn't it funny when we put bigger goals on our plate, everything else becomes productive because we have structure, we have time commitments, and we can get things done. And it seems like even if we have more on our plate, as long as we have big goals that we're focused on, we just work around that. And when we have less on our plates or no goals, we kind of feel like we're lazier, we're not as structured and organized. Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, when you have a goal and it's an important goal to you, then you're more likely to create boundaries over what you agree and don't agree to do, right? And so, although, like I said, like, okay, that goal is gonna require so much of my time and energy, it draws focus on everything else that you're doing. So then you don't, you're like, you're not on Facebook in the middle of the night, you're not binge watching Netflix, you're not just going out to lunch and whatever. Like, you're like, okay, this is what I'm doing. And I'm just a happier, more productive person when I have that in my life. You know what I think you should do? What? I think you should, cre- <laughs> I think you should create your own race. Yeah, I thought about that. You should create like, but it's different than the obstacle course races Mm -hmm. and just a marathon, but it's like your own spiritual journey that people go on that is still extremely physically demanding. Maybe there's a swim, there's a bike, there's a run, and there's some partner stuff or whatever it is, but something that you get to be creative with and create an experience, but also get to train for and practice yourself. And then bring to life for your audience. Yeah, that's a good idea. It could um, be like an annual thing once the, a year. The only circumstances under which I would do that, Lewis, is if you agree to participate. I will participate. <laughs> well, it depends how long it is. <laughs> Here's the thing. It depends. If it's under 10 miles. <laughs> it's, it's not going to be under 10 miles. Sometime in my Think life. Think about I'm- how much your audience would enjoy you preparing for something Gosh, like that. Yeah, I just got to lose more weight, though. I'm like such a big guy. How many miles would it be? I don't know. The thing is, like, there's a lot of people that are doing that. And but they're not you. No, and I know. Not, it's not I your know. experience. You have your fans that would yeah, come yeah, yeah. every year. You did it once a year. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like this monthly thing and travel around the world yeah. doing it. But do it once a year where it's like an event and an experience. Kind of like what, what's his name? Jesse did. You yeah, Jesse Itzler. Yeah, like he's starting this new thing where he, yeah, 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 yeah. Climbs. He up the, yeah, he runs up the mountains and all that kind uh, of did stuff. Did you do that or no? No, but something like that. Where he's coming thing. over to talk to me about it, like I think next week or something like that. But I, you know, I'm keyed into. I had a friend who did it, and he was like, it was you yeah, know cool painful thing. and challenging, mm-hmm. but also a really cool experience. Right. I think it was a Killington, the first one that he did, and then you just run, you run up and down the you mountain walk. until until you've achieved the elevation of Everest or Everest. Was it? Yeah, Everest. Right, right, right. Whatever. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. I, I, no, I think it, I think it's a good idea. That'd be Lewis. fun to do. Yeah, so I will. I will support it. And <laughs> right, okay. check it out first. Mm-hmm. See how the first year goes, and then. All right. Well, if you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment below and let me you know what you think that that <laughs> would look like, or yeah. you know, hit me up. I think it'd be amazing because because I know you're doing retreats now. Yeah. Which is different. Those are more like transformation. Right. But imagine creating a transformational race. Right. Experience a I journey. Like it. I'd be open to doing it. <laughs> be very careful about your words. I'd be right open now, to doing Lewis. it. There's nothing else that I've wanted to do. Uh-huh. Like the LA Marathon, my my buddy Matt, he's like, let's do it every year. And I'm like, I just could care less. Yeah. But if it was something that was different and unique and like right, a journey. Right, right, right. It's just the long endurance stuff is like hard for me. Yeah. Like three miles. But that's that's what attracted me to ultra endurance to begin with, because as difficult as those challenges are physically. They're really spiritual odysseys, right. you know. And at that point in my life, I was looking to connect with myself. I was looking to learn more about who I was and what made me tick. And when you train for these super crazy long races, you're just stripped down to your core, like until there's no, like all the. It's almost like an ayahuasca trip, like all the, all the artifice, like all that that shell that you walk around with, your masks. You know, come naked. Describe, yeah, and you're confronted with yourself in a really profound way. And I learned so much about myself as a result of doing those. But on the other side of that, it's like, okay, I learned those lessons. Do it, like, do I still need to like go and do it? Like, yes, no, I don't know. You know what I mean? Well, I think yes and no. Mm -hmm. Yes, you can keep doing it because there's always another evolution of where you can grow into. 
And I think when you stop when you stop experiencing pain, a certain type of pain, I think you become very complacent in your life and you become lazier. And that's why mm-hmm. what you do do is I think inspiring to me because I try to do something every single day that's painful. Like lately I've been getting up at 5.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do it. It's painful. Yeah. I've been lifting in the morning. It's painful. I don't like it. I'd rather sleep in, you know, 10 hours a day. Mm-hmm. I'd rather do it. But I feel so much more productive when I inflict some type of pain in my life every single day. Of course. Something I don't want to do, uncomfortable. And that's why you know, I think you inspire so many people with doing these endurance, long endurance races at the age you're at. and running circles around people my age. The thing though that's so funny is that like I'll share like on Instagram stories, like, oh, here's the workout I did today. And people will be like, that's so inspiring. You got me out of bed. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, actually, I just prefer to do it. Like I choose to do it. Like I enjoy it. You know yeah. what I mean? And yeah, it's painful, but that's how you connect with yourself. And that's how I feel alive by pushing myself in that way. I think you'd be more impactful in the world when you have something, a challenge every couple of years that you're tackling, it doesn't have to be a 50-mile Balkan Sea race or whatever, you know, that that crazy, but something that you're just doing, I think you're going to be more impactful in the world than if you're just, hey, guys, here's what I did 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Of course, yeah, I totally, I totally agree with you. And in many ways, like this book, it's like, these are most of the stuff in here is stuff I did a long time ago. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think you should do it. All right. I'd be interested. All right. I'm going to put some I'll watch the first that, year <laughs> and then maybe do it the second year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I said, be very careful. I know. It'll be extreme. Right. want to be. Man, we talk a lot about exercise, meditation, and diet, both of us, the guests we have on. If someone is looking to improve their life and transform their life and they wanted to get started with one aspect, diet, mm-hmm. nutrition, physical exercise, and meditation, which one do you think should be... The, Obviously, all of them are equally important, but if they could only start with one for whatever reason, which one do you think is the most important to start with? Meditation, nutrition, physical activity. It's hard because they're so intertwined with each other, and it's hard to parse one from the other. So I'm reluctant or reticent to say one versus the other. But if you're forcing me to do that, I would say um, focus on your diet first. You know, I think changing your plates and cleaning up the, the, the vibration of what you're putting into your body is a portal to the soul. And if you are intentional about that and um, you know, really focus on trying to eat uh, real foods as close to their natural state, you know, in my case, I eat a 100% plant-based diet. Um, if you're not ready to take that entire leap, just try to eat mostly uh, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, legumes, and beans, things like that. Um, I think that that will be a catalyst for future growth in those other areas. And that was my experience. Like I wasn't ready to meditate or to be, you know, return to becoming an athlete or any of those things. I started with changing my relationship with food. And I think when you change that frequency of what you're putting into your body, it impacts you on every level, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, et cetera. And it is a catalyst for progressive growth from there. Mm -hmm. So I would start with that. And the more you kind of refine that, then suddenly you get interested because you suddenly have a heightened sense of vitality. You're like, oh, I feel like going out and moving my body. I haven't felt like that way. And so the fitness will naturally follow. And then you're like, wow, my body feels good and I'm taking care of it in this way. Like, how do I tend to my spirit and my emotions and my mind? Well, I guess I'll start exploring the world of meditation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was watching this uh, thing on Netflix called Chef's Table. Have you ever mm-hmm. heard of this? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Have you ever watched it or no? I have, yeah. My wife is obsessed with it. I watched it for the first time last mm-hmm. night and just happened to turn on a recent episode. It was of a woman who's a monk. Oh, in, in South Korea. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah so she is unbelievable. a genius. It was amazing. Woman. I forget her name, but she is basically a nun in this Buddhist monastery yeah. in, I believe it's in, I believe it's in, I believe it's in South Korea. Yeah. Um, and she's like a food magician. She's totally plant-based, but she grows all her herbs and her own foods. And it is the most artistic, beautiful food that you've ever seen. And her approach to it is so mindful and and so with so much grace that it is impossible to not be inspired. And the food that she prepares in this 
monastery, I guess, and you would know because you just watched the episode. Yeah. It's called a temple food. Right. Which is like this spiritual food for your soul and your exactly. mind. And exactly. I, I believe it's 100% plant-based, I'm assuming. It is, yeah. Yeah, but they kept calling it, she kept calling it temple food. Mm-hmm. And how it's going to like infuse your body with this like spiritual awareness and enlightenment. And they even had like enlightened tea with like this special flower, you know, thing. And there was a New York Times critic, food critic, who said he went to this lunch yeah. that she had, and he was like, it was life-changing. Mm-hmm. And then I had to go to Korea or wherever it was to right. experience it for 30 days and learn about it. That guy's name is Jeff Gordonier, that New York Times writer, and he did a story on me and my family that was in the New York Times called Vegans, called Vegans Go Glam. It came out a couple of years ago, and when he came to our house to interview us, he had just come from that experience. No and he was like, I gotta tell you about it. He told us the whole story, and I was like, okay. Like, I didn't really get it until that Chef's Table episode yeah. came out, and I was like, oh, now I get it. But, but he wrote, an incredible piece for the New York Times about her and her work that I'm sure people can find online. Yeah, that's interesting. But food does something to our physical makeup. And it There's gives no us, question about it. Yeah, I mean, you transform your physical body mm-hmm. and your energy transformed when you transform the foods you ate. Yeah, and like, you know, I don't want to sound like a crazy woo-woo hippie, but I believe that... You sleep in a tent. <laughs> yeah, so it was a whole other thing. We can talk about that if you want. Um, <laughs> when you take like high vibration, live foods into your body, it's gonna, it's gonna have an impact that's different from taking in something that is, that is dead, yeah. you know, and heavy. Yeah, I hear you. Ever yeah, since it's my direct experience, <laughs> an N of one experiment. It's so funny though, there's other people, there's this guy Mark Bell, have you seen, you know this is? No. He's I got a know. podcast and he's on Instagram and YouTube. He's a big bodybuilding guy, he used to be like mm-hmm. really overweight, not overweight, just a big massive guy. He's leaner than ever. He's still huge and strong. Mm-hmm. He's on like a, the carnivore diet, which is right. all healthy meats. But he looks healthier and younger than ever mm-hmm. and leaner than ever. And I'm just like, there's so many different diets out there. But I'm, I'm a big believer in a plant-based diet. And ever since moving to L.A., I've been surrounded by you and my other friend Bill Glazer, who's uh-huh. just like been yeah, vegan. Bill's for, all about it. He's been vegan for yeah. a while. I go to more vegan restaurants, and I just start to eat more vegan foods. But... Mm. It's just like a, it's like a switch. I have to find the switch to be able to turn it off about meat. And it wasn't until I watched Okja. Did you watch this? Oh yeah, Okja, yeah. It wasn't until I watched yeah, yeah, Okja yeah. where I actually had an Hold emotional connection yeah. to, to meat, but it only lasted for about a month. And then, I don't know, I could justify it some other way. There's other doctors who talk about, you know, how meat is good for you when you have it a certain types, whatever, mm-hmm. so. It's challenging. But you gave me some good advice. You said, if you're gonna eat meat, at least don't eat dairy. Yeah, that's what you told me, I think. It's like mm-hmm. dairy is one of the worst things in your mind. Yeah, cut out dairy and just and limit your meat intake if you're not ready to go 100% plant-based. So right now, even if you're the most informed and diligent consumer and you're poking around the internet, it can be very, very confusing. There's so much debate and acrimony when it comes to this conversation that we're having about what is the optimal human diet. But I think all or most of the um, experts, and certainly the ones that I respect the most, will agree upon one fundamental fact, which is that a diet high in fiber, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, legumes, beans, these things, is really the path forward. Um, And when you kind of look at the blue zones and the people that live the longest and the happiest, these are people who are eating a very small, uh, amount of meat at most, maybe some fish, um, and their diet is basically consists of, of you know what I just mentioned. And so I think there's wisdom in that, um, and we want to overcomplicate it. We want to say it, we want to be reductionist about it. It's this, not that. Um, so for anybody who's listening who's struggling because they are confused by all of that, like if you're not ready to cut meat out, you know just. Make it a side dish yeah. and make the main entree bit, yeah. 80%. tons of vegetables. Yeah, yeah. You are a recovering addict, right? How long were you uh, alcoholic for? So I was, now, I was an alcoholic. It was probably my first drink around 17, and I got sober at 31. I am a recovering alcoholic. Alcoholism took me to some, some pretty dark and <laughs> dire places. At age 30, 31, you know, I was somebody who had really squandered a lot of potential and opportunity. You know, when I was a senior in high school, I got into every college I applied to. I was 
Um, Olympic was, hopeful. Yeah, I, would, I don't know that I was good enough to be an Olympic hopeful. Maybe I was with an emphasis on hope yeah, <laughs> rather right. than practicality. But yeah, no, I was I was world ranked swimmer. I swam at Stanford in the late 1980s. We won two NCAA championships when I was there. Yeah. I was a bench warmer though. Let's be wow. clear about that. And alcoholism really, you know, destroyed my potential as an athlete. It undermined every aspect of who I was. It stripped me of all my ambitions and potential. And by the time I was 31, I was a pretty broken human being. You know, I was alienated from my friends and my family. I was, you know, the guy who just never showed up and would lie to you. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I was sleeping on a bare mattress in a shitty apartment with no furniture in it, about to get fired from my job. I had two DUIs and I just could not stop drinking. I could not stop drinking. Of course, I knew I was an alcoholic, and I just had that moment of clarity, you know, one day that you hear about with people that are in recovery where I was like, I, I, I just can't, I can't live this way anymore. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. I ended up going to a treatment center in Oregon where I thought I was going to go for, you know, the 28-day deal that most people do. And I ended up living there for 100 days, wow. which is kind of a long time. Did you feel like you needed to stay because you weren't ready to leave and go back to the real world of What happened was or? I got there and I started telling people how I was actually living and what I was doing for the very first time. And the counselors there were like, dude, like, I know you think you're going to spin out of here in a couple of weeks, but we really think that you need to stay. Like, you have very vividly recall this one guy saying, uh, you have a case of alcoholism that we only see in 65-year-old lifelong drinkers. And if you don't get this right, you're going to go back out into the world and you're going to die. And I see it all the time. And I was able to hear that. And I was very aware that my best thinking had me essentially in a mental institution. And as somebody who was that guy who had so much promise, you know, it was a pretty precipitous fall. And I, I never wanted to have to go back. And so I thought, I'm going to stay here, and I'm going to make sure that I get this right. Yeah. And that's what I did. And then in the wake of that, you know, came back to Los Angeles, and my priority was to build the strongest foundation of sobriety that I could. And that was my number one thing, going to AA meetings and immersing myself in the community here, the recovery community in Los Angeles. And then trying to repair all the wreckage that I had created as a result of my journey. Yeah, relationships and just professionally. And, and really, I was like, I used to be here. I fell this far. I got to get back up on top. And in and, and retrospect, looking back, I wasn't really aware of it at the time. I took a lot of that compulsive addict energy and I put it into my work. You know, I was like, I, and, I, and I justified it by saying, look, you know, I have this potential. I got to regain it. You know, I have to repair this. And and it worked. You know, by the time I was 39, I had succeeded. I had repaired those relationships. You know, I was succeeded in business. a successful lawyer, like partnership track, a law firm, had a portion to drive. I had all the stuff. But that's when that existential crisis started to percolate up because I I never really thought, like, is this what I want to do? I just, it was more like, I need society to perceive me in this way. And this is what somebody of my education is supposed to do without ever really taking a beat to say, well, what is it that, that I want to do? Like, what's unique to me? What gets me excited and out of bed in the morning? That was never part of the inner mental dialogue and nothing that I ever really considered in a, in a real way. Mm. And that just played it out, played itself out as long as it could until. I had that second bottom, you know, on that staircase, which was very similar to that bottom that I had with drinking, you know, where I realized, like, my life is unsustainable. Like, I need to make some significant changes. And when did you get married? I got married about 17 years ago. 
No, actually, well, Julie and I have been together about 20 years, but we, we didn't get mar- married for a long time. So we got yeah. married, my daughter's 14. We got married about 15 years ago. So you met her after you went to rehab? I met her when I had a year of sobriety. Gotcha. Yeah. I and I was, I was celibate during that year, because when I left rehab, uh-huh. they were like, look, your relationship with women is very intertwined with your drinking, and we think and that you should hit yeah. pause on that and take this time to really figure out who you are. And, and that was another thing that I took seriously. And that was a very empowering thing, to be celibate for a year wow. and, and really kind of opt out of dating altogether, because you're really then forced to like deal with yourself. And then at the end of that year, I met Julie, and then like that was it. Wow. Yeah. Do you think you guys would be together if you'd have met two years prior? No way. <laughs> I would have been a wreck, and she was married. No, oh, it wouldn't wow. have happened. Yeah. yeah, it wouldn't have happened. And like, on paper, like Julie was not the person for me, and I wasn't the person for her. Uh, it didn't really make. She was older. She was she was coming out of a marriage. She had two young boys. Like, I was thinking my next girlfriend's gonna be you know, five years younger than me and like really just no drama, you know, no complications or anything like that. But, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. Right. How has that evolved in the last 20 years since you've known it's her? Been, it's been incredible. You know, I mean, prior to meeting her, I couldn't sustain a relationship. I couldn't be honest. I couldn't be faithful. And I was really scared to be in a relationship with her, especially since she had two boys. And, you know, we're, we're going on almost 20 years now. It's been incredible. And it's been... You know, it's been an evolution of trying to figure out how to cohabitate with another human being for that long period of time is challenging. And I think one of the things that's allowed us to, to continue to grow alongside of each other is that she is very independent and I'm independent. And, right. you know, I'm not you looking at each other. Yeah, it's like, it's like com- you complete me. It's like it's not that. Like we're on our own journeys. Our personal growth trajectories are between ourselves and and our version of God, really. And and I don't rely on her to fix me, and she's not looking to me for the same. And so we can come together and, like, make magic. And, you know, we work together, too. We write cookbooks together. We do retreats. So we're professionally enmeshed as well as we are personally enmeshed. And, you know, as parents of four kids, I think it's easy to allow a relationship to then be defined by what you guys are doing together in a career context, you know, like all your conversations are about like, okay, we got it. Did you email that person back? And what are we doing about this? And so we've had to be very diligent about making sure that we know when we're working together and when it's like personal family time for or personal time. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. And what has being a recovering addict taught you about compassion for others? Oh, it's been huge. It's been huge. All the tools that I've learned to navigate the world began with what I learned in rehab and what I continue to learn in recovery. It's made me much more compassionate towards other people because I've come to understand that, you know, we all have our own pain. You know, when you're in the recovery community, you're constantly meeting people and hearing their stories, what it was like for them, what happened and what it's like now. And you become very connected with that journey of how life can be very difficult. And I think whether you're an addict or not, we're all walking around in the world with our masks on. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to just presume or project onto other people that they have it easy or that they're not having the same struggles that you are having. But in truth, I've come to understand and learn and, and really take to heart that you don't know what people are going through. And I've gone through a lot and I've been in a very dark, low place. And so I don't really judge other people's experiences, you know, and that's a perspective I brought into the podcast too. Even when I have people on that I don't agree with or don't see the world in the same way, I'm able to have empathy for them and I'm able to kind of um, find a way to, uh, you know, respect wherever yeah, somebody is coming from. Big no. wrong. Yeah. Well, what's the big lesson that you try to teach your kids now? I think the big lesson, well, it's, it's multifold, but but I think at the core of it is teaching them that the most important thing, well, as parents, the most important thing I want to instill in them is a sense of self-assuredness and self-confidence. Belief in themselves. Uh, yeah, belief in themselves. Yeah. And then with that, I try to encourage them to find something that they care about. And I don't really care what that is. You know, I just want them to have something that excites them. And then my job and my wife's job is to find a way to fuel that and support that. Because I think that's the engine that 
will propel an individual to success later in life. Rather than saying, you should have this career, you should have that career, like whatever it is that they're naturally gravitating towards, like I try to pay attention to that and then find a way to be a support system for that. So for example, my 14-year-old daughter started painting when she was like four years old, five years old. She sold paintings to you know our friends when she was a little girl. She moved away from it for a while and then she came back to it and then she decided on her own that she wanted to apply to get into the performing arts school here in Los Angeles, which is very difficult to get into. So we got her a, a mentor, this young girl who had, who had gone to art school and she worked with her for over a year, helping her learn how to paint, putting a portfolio together. She applied to the school and she just got in. So wow, it's super cool. exciting. And, the analogy is it took me a very long time to find something that I cared about that I could invest myself in. And my message that I put out in the books and what I write about in the podcast and all of that is like, you know, find what, what is true to your heart and pursue that with everything that you have. So I have to believe that it, that is true for myself and the people that I'm communicating with that it has to be true with my children as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. What's the biggest challenge of being a parent? The biggest challenge is understanding that you can't control their environment. You have to allow them to have their own experiences and come to their own conclusions. Even if you know what's best, your job is to kind of guide them gently in a direction that you see fit. But when they stumble or they end up making a bad decision, you have to sometimes step back and allow that to unfold without getting overly involved in it. That's gotta be which is so challenging for a control mm -hmm. freak. Yeah, who wants yeah, them to yeah, be like, yeah. do this. No, 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 no. Yeah, but like, <laughs> you know, I've learned from the way that I grew up that it's important to, to provide a little bit of space and freedom. And you can't insulate them from the pain that life is inevitably going to deliver. So your job isn't to make sure that they avoid that at all costs, but to make sure that they're loved and supported when something like that inevitably occurs. Yeah. And are your parents still around? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They live in Washington, D.C. They do? Yeah, they're still together. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the biggest lessons you learned from both of them? That's a good question. Um, my father is a gentleman's gentleman, very successful lawyer in Washington, D.C., and now he's become an author himself. So we're both writing books, and we can bond mm, over that. That's cool. I think what I learned from him is, and from my mom as well, who's an educator, the importance of, of learning and education. Like, that was something that was impressed upon me at a young age. Probably not in the healthiest way, maybe a little tick too much, but a respect for the importance of learning, not just in school, but throughout, the, throughout your life. Mm. Mm. That's cool. And what's the biggest challenge you're faced with right now? Hmm. I think the biggest challenge that I'm faced with right now is learning what to say no to. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because that. my life is big, Opportunity um, yeah, overload. Not, as you know, I'm sure you're in this situation all the time. You're on the receiving end of a lot of cool opportunities. And it's because life was so hard not so long ago, like now I'm in a position to take advantage of things that were not being offered to me then. And it's all awesome. Like I want to say yes to everything because it's all super cool. So the challenge is being clear on what it is that I'm actually doing and making sure that the decisions I'm making are driving that forward rather than using those opportunities as distractions that ultimately prevent me from being as impactful or successful yeah. as I know that I can be. It's instead of being good at lots of things, being great mm -hmm. at a few things and, and staying focused. And right, well, for example, like somebody says, hey, we wanna pay you a bunch of money to come and speak at this conference and it's some, at some really cool resort and we'll put you up and all of that. And it's like, yeah, I wanna do that. And then you're like, but if I do that, then that's all this time away and I'm gonna fall behind in this other project that I'm working on. So in the balance of things, like what is most important for me to do? Yeah. You know? I hear you. So saying no, having boundaries, um, that's, that's difficult for me. And you know, I'm a, I'm a people pleaser at heart, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's difficult for me to say no to anything. I hear you. I'll make sure not to ask you anything. Yeah. <laughs> no, you can. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Before I ask the final few questions, I want to make sure you guys get the new book or the updated book, Finding Ultra, Rejecting Middle Age, Becoming One of the World's Fittest Men and Discovering Myself. Very powerful, updated, expanded, 100 plus new pages, nutritional stuff in there as well. Make sure you guys check this out. Very powerful story, journey, insights, all the things. You got a, a new cookbook out too. Yeah, that's right. So. 
This second edition of Finding Ultra just came out, super excited about it. And I appreciate the fact that you had, it was there. This was sitting up there. Yeah, like it wasn't I could there. see it in all your videos and I we really just pulled it down. Like, I was like, how long is that gonna sit up there before he swaps it out? Keep the favorites. Yeah, thank you. I wanted to take the opportunity to rewrite it for the reasons I already mentioned, to bring it up to speed, but it's about 100 pages longer. It's got a brand new prescriptive chapter that has all the tools and the resources and the strategies that I employed to transform my life. It's got a new foreword, it's got beefed up appendices, it's got a recipe section, there's all kinds of bells and whistles. So even if you read it originally and enjoyed it, there's plenty there for you to uh, enjoy the second time around. And then yes, on April 24th, we have a new cookbook coming out called The Plant Power Way Italia. Um, we had, my wife and I wrote a book several that's, years that's ago Italy, called The Plant right? Power Way. And this is, yeah, Italia is Italy, <laughs> Lewis, Ohio boy. This book is like next level, 125 plant-based recipes. That Italian plant-based Italian, plant everything's yeah. Italian. It's informed by these retreats that we do every year in the Tuscan countryside, working with chefs there and taking groups of people through a week-long transformation. And we took all of that, put it in this amazing book, and super excited about that's pretty that. pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's good, like the photography, everything is like, it's like a coffee table book. You're gonna wanna leave out, you're gonna wanna use it. Um, all the recipes are very family oriented, family friendly, delicious. They're gonna fill you up, it's not just mm. salads. Like it's all the good stuff sounds that you amazing. love about Italian food. Wow, sounds amazing. And I heard a rumor that if you pre-order a copy of that, you're entered into a contest to potentially get a free ticket to the next retreat, is that what I heard? Yeah, that's a, wow, you did your homework. So yeah, we just announced this contest. We're going back to Italy in May 19th through 26, and we're taking a group of about 35 people. It's sold out, but somebody, a woman had to back out for some reason. So we had this extra, with this open spot, and we mm -hmm. were thinking, well, we'll just, we'll sell it. And then we thought, well, let's use this opportunity, this pre-order campaign to like, offer this spot to somebody who wants it. So it's a woman only, because it's in a shared female yeah, room. Yeah. Um, so it's only available to women. But if you're interested in, in uh, learning more about okay. that, go to my website and I have a blog post up that has a form to fill out and all that good stuff. Yeah, so, so you gotta buy the book and then enter the form, I'm exactly. assuming. Yeah. Yeah. So that's richroll.com mm -hmm. for that. Very cool. Final couple questions. This one is called The Three Truths. I think I asked it to you last time, but I'll ask it again. If this was your final day for you, many years from now, and you've achieved everything you want, you became your greatest self, mm -hmm. tackled everything, every challenge, any dream you had, you made come true. Wrote all the books, everything. But for whatever reason, you had to take everything with you on your last day. So nothing could stay for us to have access to these books or the, mm -hmm. the content you put out there. It's all with you in the grave and gone into another spiritual realm. But you did have the opportunity to leave behind one piece of paper with the three things you need to be true about all your lessons in life, uh -huh. all your experiences that you would share with the world. And this is the only thing that we would have to have access to your words and wisdom. Uh -huh. What would you say are your three truths? Wow, man, that's tough. Let's see. You did not ask me this before, okay. so this is new. I would say live true to yourself give freely to others, and love deeply. Not much more than that is important. There you go. Powerful. I want to acknowledge you for a moment, Rich, for constantly showing up. I mean, you're 51, you, you put me to shame with your health, mm -hmm. your abilities, everything, but your compassion towards humanity and wanting to just love on people in the sense of not judging people, making people wrong. I think that's one of your biggest superpowers is your ability to lead through humility while putting yourself through any type of challenge or adversity and just share your story. And I think the art of storytelling has been lost for a lot of us. We don't think we are, who are we to share our story publicly? And your ability to do it and continue to show up and share it even though it's not perfect every day for you is really inspiring and powerful. So I acknowledge you for that, man. Thank you, my friend. Of course. It's a privilege and an honor to sit across from you once yeah. again. Mad love and respect for everything that you're doing and, yes, and what you've built here and the service that you provide to so many people. So Thanks, always, man. always good to see you. And appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. Final question, what's your definition of greatness? <sighs> my definition of greatness is, is really probably a variation on, on what I would leave behind. To be great is to live in a way that, is, that has fidelity to who you truly are. Like, are you fully self-actualized? So to be great 
is to live in that self-actualized way and to give away freely the wisdom that you've accumulated as a result of, of, uh, of trudging that road. Mm. Rich Roll, the legend. That's my friend. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. Good to see you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, make sure to check out the full show notes, lewishouse.com slash 619. Check out the full video interview, all the links, the resources. Check out Rich's book over there as well. And big thank you to Rich. Again, if you enjoyed this, take a screenshot on your phone right now of this podcast. Post it over on your Instagram story. Tag me, at Lewis Howes. Tag at Rich Roll. Let us know what you think. We're pretty active over there. And if you send us a message, most likely we try to respond to as many as we can. So check it out over on Instagram, at Lewis Howes, at Rich Roll. I hope you guys enjoy this one. I'm super pumped and excited about this And if you did, make sure to, again, spread some love out to your friends online. Leave us a review over on iTunes. And as always, let me know what you think about this episode over on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe over on YouTube. We've got a quarter of a million people who have subscribed to our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash Lewis House. And what I loved about the quote we talked about in the beginning, Jeff Bezos said, what's dangerous is not to evolve. If you're not growing every single day, if you're not challenging yourself, stepping up into a bigger goal, a bigger dream, then that's what's dangerous, is staying comfortable, staying in your comfort zone, and not allowing yourself to progress. And it's been inspiring to see what Rich Roll has done after 50 to push the boundaries of human potential. I love you guys. I hope you enjoyed this one. And as always, you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. about Captain Crunch's Crunch Berries with breakfast. Whoa, Dad, we're on Crunch Island. <gasps> it's Jean foot. <laughs> and he stole our crunch. Quick, the zip line. He's getting away. Throw our last Crunch Berry. No! No one steals my Crunch Berries. I think you mean my Crunch Berries. Choose your own Crunch Venture with Captain Crunch. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.